The Veritas Radio Network is guaranteed the right to offend, annoy, agitate, shout, harass, and entertain. You should start programming right now. Kind of like the cultural sewage served up on Bravo or CMT, only it's on 24 hours a day, except Sundays. When the truth gets you angry and you throw your smartphone, remember, no one is forcing you to listen to the truth on the Veritas Radio Network. You can't handle the truth. You're doing that of your own free will. That's what makes this country great and any gay marriage pointless. That's offensive. So there isn't much you can do about it, Chowderhead. I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Grab a book, take a vow, and conform your mind to reality. Reality. Otherwise, you're just another Judas-inspired Karl Marx wannabe. And your children will steal your credit card number to buy tickets to the Miley Cyrus Twerkers Ball. I came in like a wrecking Are you ready? Let's get it on. On the Veritas Radio Network's Crusade. And welcome to tonight's Philosophia Perennis De Omine Lecture. I'm calling this Radio De Omine now. Here live on the Crusade Channel, tonight is Wednesday, the 15th of March, 2017. We will be covering De Omine Lecture number six from Brother Francis Malouf's lecture series back in the 1980s when he was part of the St. Augustine Institute uh, and will be joined momentarily by Brother Andre Marie, the St. Benedict Center of Richmond, New Hampshire. If you are new to our setup here, we do this every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. We record each and every one of these question and answer and uh, uh, explanation sessions that Brother Andre Marie and I conduct. And then we load them to my website at mikechurch.com, and you are free to go and download any and all of the episodes. Even if you can't make it on a lecture night, you can always just uh, sign up for the podcast, the Philosophy of Perennis podcast, and when we update the file tomorrow morning, your podcast will automatically update. Or you can just go to the site, go to my site at mikechurch.com, and under the Catholicism tab, click Philosophy of Perennis and uh, the episodes or the lectures will appear in order. Uh, uh, lecture number six is not up there because we haven't completed it, but it'll be up there tomorrow morning. So uh, without further ado, you're also, you can uh, find the Domine lecture series homepage, and that's the page that has the chat room embedded in it. And you can join our live chat uh, by logging in as a guest. You can log in with, with your Twitter feed or your Twitter ID if you wish. Your Facebook name, you can go sign up at Rumble Chat. It's free. That's the software provider for the chat. Or you can just log in as a guest and give yourself a name. Uh, let's go live to the St. Benedict Center in Richmond, New Hampshire, and bring in Brother Andre Marie, who is just a bit under the weather with the wild changes 
in weather that the uh, that New England has been experiencing the last week. Brother, uh, I'm just glad that you're able to make it tonight, that you're not 16 feet snowed under. Yeah, we. I think we only got two feet, so <laughs> it's not, not a big deal. <laughs> only someone who's seasoned as a New Englander could say, I think we only got two feet. Yeah, well, that's a bit much even for us up here. <laughs> yeah, even for us hardened Yankees, that's a bit much. Well, you're not a hardened Yankee. You are a yat no. from way back. That's right. That's right. I'm a <laughs> copperhead. He's... <laughs> um, brother, uh, we were talking a little bit about uh, tonight's uh, lecture, uh, you and I, and uh, I guess we're basically going to have a discussion on uh, the on the virtues tonight, right? That's right. And uh, yeah, and you were saying, gee, it's going to be hard to get away from talking about Catholic theology in this one. Yes. And uh, to which I agreed. Yeah, bro brother spent ha over half the time talking about the Psalms. And, and um, he, but he also uh, talked about the Summa. And when he got to the Summa, he wasn't talking about the moral virtues. He was talking about the theological virtues. So I thought what I would do uh, is... Uh, and unfortunately, tonight, too, we're operating under another disadvantage, uh, aside from my cold, and that is that uh, I don't have the notes that I normally have, because the uh, the, the, the kind man who's been um, doing those notes uh, uh, got a little bit behind and didn't get them to me on time. So I, uh, I, I cobbled together some, some thoughts of my own and jotted them down today, and... Um, this will sort of guide me through my, my, um, you know, my comments tonight, but, but please, uh, be, don't be shy with the questions. If you have any questions as we're going along okay. in the chat room. Um, so I thought that what I'd start with is what brother Francis said about, he took one piece from the, um, the Summa, one sentence, and he wrote it out as his custom in Latin, and then he translated it, uh, and the translation is, man is perfected by virtue for those actions by which he is directed to happiness. So it's, it's, uh, it's good to recall that virtue is our path to happiness. Now, there's a twofold happiness, and Brother Francis preferred to call natural happiness, happiness, and he, supernatural happiness, beatitude, not to say that supernatural happiness isn't happiness, but because it, it, it has a higher elevation than natural happiness, uh, he thought it was prudent to, uh, to use two different words. So we speak of supernatural happiness as beatitude. And remember, those eight things that are called the beatitudes, I think I mentioned last time, sometimes they're translated in modern um, biblical translations as instead of blessed is he, each one is translated, happy is he. And uh, we might bicker over whether that's an ideal translation or not, but it does get at a, a fundamental truth that beatitude is a very elevated form of happiness. And there's nothing wrong with happiness. I mean, people tend to think of, uh, pe pe people tend to think of happiness in things that aren't virtuous, but that's their problem. I mean, happiness itself is something that God intended us to achieve but he intended us to achieve it by a life of virtue. And for an Aristotelian, for, for Platonist even, and for uh, men of 
of, of wisdom, whether natural wisdom or supernatural wisdom all throughout the ages, happiness has been something that's achievable only by means of the practice of, of virtue. And uh, that is the way that we achieve, anyway, some kind of enduring, true, real, worthy kind of happiness. And um, so, man, so again, St. Thomas's sentence, man is perfected by virtue for those actions by which he is directed to happiness. So virtue directs us to action, and, those, and, and the performing of those actions direct us to happiness. Okay. Brother, Brother Francis reminds us, uh, has reminded us already in previous lectures, he repeat, keeps repeating himself on this score, there are essentially three different levels at which we can speak of man operating. And we can, and, and Brother presents them sometimes as three different levels of knowledge that we have. Now, and, and none of them are opposed to one another. They, they, uh, they, they in a sense, they build on one another. But the first level is the is the sense level, the 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 act the 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 level of pure animal sensation. So we have in common with the animal, with the brute animals, uh, the external senses and the internal senses. So we have uh, sight, hearing, taste, touch, smell, in common with all the brute animals, and we have the inner senses that are localized in the brain. Uh, known as uh, uh, instinct, uh, sense memory, the uh, the cognitive sense, and, uh, uh, and 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 the common sense. Okay. So we have all of these senses localized in our in our brain. Actually, excuse me, cognitive sense and instinct are the same thing. The one that I left off was um, the imagination. These things are localized in our brain. All animals have that, and we have that. So knowledge happens at that level. You know, we have to be. We, we have to give animals their due, okay, dogs and cats and whatever, whatever is in the animal kingdom has knowledge because the senses are for the purpose of acquiring knowledge. And their passions that they have in common, again, with us, uh, that's, that's their appetition that they have. So they have cognitive faculties and they have appetitive faculties. They know and they desire. Okay, and so do we. So at that level, at that fundamental level of sense, that's the knowledge we have when we operate at that level only. Now, the next level up is rational, or we could call that spiritual, and that is where in concert with sense knowledge, because it's important, we don't ditch the senses when we come up to the rational level. In concert with and utilizing the knowledge that we have through the senses, our, our reason, that is to say, our understanding or our intellect. It's all, th all three words mean the same thing. Our reason, our intellect, our understanding. They all uh, seize on the knowledge that we get through the senses, but now, doing something that brute animals cannot do, they have the power to abstract, and they have the power to name things, and they have the power to speak rationally about things. They can not only apprehend things, they can, they can make judgments, and they can also reason using, you know, syllogistic reasoning and so forth. This is all quite above an animal. They can't assign names to things by way of simple apprehension. They cannot make judgments, and they cannot, they certainly cannot reason. They cannot make, uh, you know, uh, um, they cannot, 
They cannot engage in geometry or any, anything that requires the use of reason. And then over and above that level is the level of the supernatural. Now, it's, it's important to note, as we did last week, that the rational level, that second level, which is purely human, as distinct from uh, purely animal, that second level is, is rational. It's also called spiritual because our intellect and our will are both spiritual faculties. Spiritual here does not, does not equal supernatural. <laughs> supernatural is a distinct thing. So at, on the supernatural level, that's the third level, where we have the gifts of sanctifying grace and the infused theological virtues of faith, <laughs> hope, and charity, which Brother Francis spends quite a lot of time talking about in tonight's lecture. Yes, he does. All, all of that is at that third level. But at the, at the merely rational level, which is human, that's the level where we're performing human acts that are natural to man. On the supernatural level, as the name would suggest, we are, we are performing acts which are not natural to us. They are above our nature, therefore called supernatural. But not, they don't contradict our nature either, because man's, man was built with the capacity to be, to be elevated in this way. Now, Brother Francis used, very fleetingly, he made reference to an important word, that are important two words that he didn't stop to explain and elsewhere he has explained this and if you haven't heard the explanation you should hear it now okay so he refers to the actus humanus now an actus humanus is a human act and that might sound simple enough uh, you know if if I'm a human and I do an act it must be a human act well not necessarily because the, the, this is one of those neat scholastic distinctions that uh, at first the words sound terribly confusing and like you're saying the same thing over and over again, but it's not. Um, it's actually a very useful distinction. The distinction is between an actus humanus and an actus hominis. I can spell that out if you all want in the, in the chat room. But actus humanus, that's a human act. Then the other one is actus hominis, and it's spelled a little different. Instead of H-U-M-A-N-U-S, it's H-O-M-I-N-I-S. Um, and actus humanus is a human act. Actus hominis is an act of a man. Now, you might think, okay, that's a, that's a distinction without a difference, but it's not. An actus humanus is a human act in the full sense of the word human, meaning it uses those faculties, one or both of those faculties, which set us off from the animals. So uh, the intellect and the will. Actus hominis is the act of a man. So if I trip and fall, which I'm inclined to do because I'm, I'm not a very graceful person, or, or if I, my heart beats, or if I breathe, or if I digest my food, or, um, you know, my blood's flowing. All those things that you do uh, without thinking, because it's at, at the level of your body. It's at the level of your, of your brute emotions and so forth. All of these things are actus uh, hominis. Each one of them can be called an actus hominis, an act of a man. But they're not human acts 
until the intellect and or the will are engaged. And what's the point of that? Why, why such a distinction? I mean, I could see somebody saying, well, I understand the distinction. It sounds like a real distinction to me, but why the heck make it? Well, there's, there's a very real reason why we make it, and that is that in order for it to be a moral act, in other words, an act that has moral goodness or badness to it, that's an, an act that's ethically good or ethically bad, it has to be an actus humanus, uh, an, excuse me, an actus humanus. If it's an actus hominis, it's not a not, it's not a morally good act or a morally bad act, but if it's an actus humanus, it it has engaged what what it is that makes us distinct from the animals, and at that level only at that level can it be a moral act. It can either be morally good or morally bad. So the, the, the act of digesting your food is not something that you can be judged upon as doing something <laughs> really good or really bad in the moral realm. Now, the act of the, the physical act of eating moderately, okay, where, where that, at that point your will is engaged. If you, if you decide that you're going to have, you know, uh, just enough food to satisfy the appetite and not, you know, uh, uh, be a glutton, then you're practicing the virtue of moderation or temperance. And that's a good thing. That's a morally good act. Or on the other hand, if you give in to the temptation to gluttony and you do something gluttonous, then that's a morally evil act. But the act of digesting the food, okay, that's, that's, that's merely an actus hominis it has no moral worth at all. I mean, it has physiological worth. I'm not saying it's worthless, but it, it does not enter into the moral realm in the least. Uh, so an act of processing a, uh, a Lenten beer because you're uh, using it as your bread uh, is a dehomenes. <laughs> well, I mean, the act of eating, actually, because that, ingo- that involves the volition. What I'm saying is the act of... Uh, Hominis is the act of digestion, okay? Your heart beating, things that you don't have control over. Right. Okay. But where you have to exercise restraint, even of your bodily motions, and let's face it, we have to exercise restraint of our bodily motions all the time. Only where the will is engaged do you now have an actus uh, humanus. If you're drinking the beer moderately, that can be a virtuous act. So uh, there's nothing wrong with uh, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with it, but it's actually a, it enters into a moral act. Wherever the intellect and will are engaged, it's going to be a moral act. There is going to be a moral dimension to that. Not so with the actus hominis. Not so at all. And, so and brother is asking. So on the chart from earlier, the top, the super organic, when direct, directing an act becomes an actus hominis, an act directed uh, by just this. Sentient would be actus homies again. The distinction between man and rational being. Okay, yeah. So it's, it, it, so it's it really it's it's simple. It's the yeah the super organic faculties of intellect and will. When those are engaged, there you have the um, a human act, which is actus humanus, a human act. But if it's just something on those lower parts of man on down, you have 
um, the act of a man, actus hominis. Now, the two are interrelated. For instance, the passion, uh, any of the passions, uh, let's just take the passion of anger. Um, there's a psalm verse, brother's talking about the psalms, but one, one of my favorite psalm verses, and, and St. Paul quotes it in one of his epistles, uh, be ye angry and sin not. Now, in the, uh, uh, we chanted in Latin in the office, and it's irashimini et nolite pecare. It's in Vespers of every Sunday. Irashimini et nolite pecare. Be ye angry and sin not. Be angry Scripture's and sin not. Scripture's not telling us don't ever be angry. Anger happens. Okay, it's a passion. And if anger doesn't happen to you, you're not a human. So either that or you're somehow insouciant and, 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 you, need a, and you, need, you need some kind of medication. <laughs> but, but, if you, but, if, but anger will happen. That's a passion. And in some respect, it's, it's just, it's just a, uh, an immediate uh, reflexive action based upon some, uh, some stimulus. Some external stimulus. That's what a passion is. It's a, it's a reaction that we have to some external stimulus. But, because a, remember, the concept of a passion is that it's passive. We're undergoing this thing, right? So something happens. Say somebody slaps us in the face, right? Uh, and, we, and we become instantly aroused to anger because we have experienced a present evil that we have not successfully escaped. That's the nature of anger. And now we have been overcome by that evil and we experience that passion. Now, that, is, that reaction is human. It's, 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 uh, rather, it's the act of a man. It's actus hominis. But what I do with it immediately upon reflection, as soon as intellect and will are engaged, <clears throat> that becomes a human act. Because then the moral, then the moral dimension enters in. And if I then um, do something uh, um, illicit, morally illicit, let's say that I react in such a way that it's without due proportion, and I br break the guy's face, you know, because it, com completely overboard in retribution for for a fairly minor um, infraction, then I've sinned gravely. I mean, I've caused grave bodily harm to somebody for, 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 no, for no proportional reason. So there we have clearly a bad human act. Now, I can, I can or what I could do is I could turn the other cheek. I could literally offer him the other cheek in, in, in literal <laughs> obedience to the, to, the, to the counsel of our Lord. St. Thomas says it's a counsel, not a commandment. But uh, to the counsel of our Lord in the Gospels to turn the other cheek and offer that to him. Now, at that point, uh, I could, I, I would have done something, and I'm not saying it's likely that I'm going to do that because uh, uh, that's a difficult thing to do. But uh, at that point, if I have committed my anger, so if I've achieved that kind of heroic meekness so that I can overcome the passion of anger so readily, I would have done something heroically virtuous. So there, upon reflection, as soon as the intellect sees what's happening and the will engages there you have a human act and not just the act of a man so uh actus hominis is an act that an animal other than a human can make that's right it's an act it's an act of a man it happens to be of a man and not of an animal but it's an act uh, that that depends 
exclusively on our lower faculties, not right. on our higher faculties. Now, brother, when, when you were describing that, I was thinking after uh, having read some catechism that uh, that basically is the description of the of the uh, humanus, that uh, that's the description of the conditions under which a mortal sin can be, uh, can be committed. Yeah, and that's no coincidence. Only if it has a moral dimension can it be a sin, right? And only if it has, and only if it's a human, uh, only if we employ the use of the intellect and will, uh, is it a human act. Right, right. So, uh, and, and if it is a human act, it therefore has a moral dimension. Now, now brother, can you distinguish, because then there's a question in the chat room, too. So, when you hit an animal, though, it's not going to turn its other cheek. It, it, it may, out of uh, instinct or uh, force of habit, recognize you as master and not do anything about it. But uh, if you continue to flog it, uh, you know, if it, depending on what kind of an animal it is, it may move to preserve its life and strike back, but that's not an act of anger. That's an act of preservation, right? Well, I mean, I mean, but yeah, but we, we recognize it as an act of preservation, but the dog is not thinking, oh, I must preserve myself. He's <laughs> re reacting purely in passion. It's the, it's the creator who, who, it's the, see, we observe in animals, we observe intelligence. Now, don't don't come come on me now and call me some kind of pantheist or something. We observe <laughs> intelligence in plants. We observe intelligence, but the intelligence is not in the in the thing itself. The intelligence is in the maker. Right, right, right. Who who made it so that that plant can somehow move that root to where it'll get water? The the, the maker made it so that a dog's instinct hap happened to be those things, and the dog's passions happened to be those things. That um, that are good for it, you know. Brother makes this makes this reminder time and time again. He did it in tonight's lecture. That at the level of the animals, it's perfectly fine that they live for pleasure. That they live to get pleasure and avoid sure. pain. That's right. what they do. You know, my when when my dog comes around and, and cuddles next to me and, and looks at me lovingly, I know it's not altruism. I, I know that the dog doesn't love me with with uh, um, you know some some sort of uh, detached uh, charity. Uh, he's incapable of it. Um, he, he 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 does have a love that, 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 that there's a love that exists there, but it, it exists there as a passion. I, I'm a source of some something good for him. That's it, and that's fine. He lives for pleasure, and when when he gets upset because I yell at him or look at him sternly or might even smack him a little bit because he's done something naughty. Um, it's not because he's upset that, you know, uh, um, he's, he's offended me somehow. And that, and that, that gets him upset. Mm -hmm. He's upset because he has this sense of fear. It's all passions. It's all at the level of the passions. That's all they've got, but we've got something much, much higher. And uh, we have intellect and will, and, and they have something, all they have is, is their cognitive senses, excuse me, their, their um, senses to get knowledge and their passions to, to give them desires. But that's about it. They have nothing higher. Um, so anything that, they, anything that they do that we can do also is most likely an octus... Uh, 
homines. Homines, right. But the, what we can do that's higher than what they can do, now excluding the supernatural level, but what we can do that's higher than what they do is an actus um, hum, humanus. It's a human act. A, uh, a dog is capable of what, what for us is an actus humanus, uh, an actus hominis, a dog is capable of. But what is what, what for us is an actus humanus, they can't do it. They cannot do human acts. This is the Radio de Omine broadcast for tonight. Uh, we are covering lecture number six in Brother Francis Malou's series on de Omine from St. Thomas Aquinas. And you can obtain the lecture series if you'd like and join us at any time simply by going to Catholicism.org. And uh, once you're there, you would uh, search for DE space homine, H O M I N E. Or you could just send an email to me uh, from my website, kingdude at mikechurch.com, or to Brother Andre Marie, BAM, B A M, at Catholicism.org. And our brother will also ex extend to you a very kind. Uh, Crusade Channel, MikeChurch.com discount uh, for the purchase of the series. And then you can join us every Wednesday night here for our live discussion on each week's lecture. And, of course, uh, pop on into the chat room on my website at MikeChurch.com. Uh, brother, what is on tonight's stellar episode of Reconquest number 67? Uh, tonight's Reconquest episode 67 is called Unexpected Apologetics, Faith and Good Works. Hey, uh, brother, I have so to I'm, I have to give myself a, an applause because I got the number right. I cheated. Oh, I, you got the. <laughs> I, I cheated. Got the number right. Well, good I, for you. I cheated before we came on. I went and looked at uh, in the file to see what Christopher had named it. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and what is your subject? Uh, faith and good works. Faith and good works. So yeah, uh, that's so, not aura at labora. That's what then? The <laughs> uh, faith and well. Uh, uh, Fidei. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Fides at, uh, at uh, Bona Opera. Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah. And is there a so, guest? Yeah, it's a classical, it's a classical apologetics thing, but I'm calling it unexpected <clears throat> apologetics because I'm, I'm, I'm approaching it from a, an unusual angle. Okay. And quite on purpose because I want to sort of break the normal jargon and uh, and get into more and get into some of the meatier issues uh, that that really lie at the heart of it. So, uh, uh, do you have a guest tonight, or are you solo? No, it's just me all by myself. He's Han Solo tonight, folks. Yeah, Han Solo, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, there's a great question in the in the room here. I see Chris it. Williams. Yes. I, I think it was Chris. I'm trying to find Yeah. It is. Uh, he asked this. Is an actus humanus always morally good or bad? Can it be neutral? Okay, they're, 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 uh, by nature, uh, um, <clears throat> you can have an act which abstractly considered is neutral. Um, but in actual practice, it's going to either be morally good or morally bad. This is St. Thomas's view. Every act that we do, every act, and it, it's amazing. I mean, sometimes we tend to think of moral decisions being something that's, you know, every once in a while we have to make a moral decision. Right. That's not true. Uh, we're making moral decisions for good or for ill all day. That's that's, you know. So when we when we elect to waste time, uh, when we ought to be doing something else, that's that's morally bad. We're, we're now it, it it might not be super bad. I mean, it might not be a big fat mortal sin. It's not the same thing as you know shooting your mother-in-law or something. But it has a moral dimension. 
And um, so that's an excellent question. Every act, actus humanus that we perform, every human act we perform all day mm -hmm. has either morally good or morally bad dimension to it. That's and as much as it has a moral dimension, it's going to be good or bad. Now, the, the act itself, abstractly considered, can be morally neutral. But once we make the decision to, to do it in those circumstances and with our particular intention, there are three, there are, we don't have time to get into to develop this, but there are three elements to every human, to every moral act. There is the act itself, the actual matter of the act. There is the, uh, there is the intention with which I carry out that act. And then there are the circumstances that surround the act. Um, the, 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 what we call uh, situation ethics is a very bad ethical system, which si simply reduces everything to uh, circumstances. And that's wrong. There are two other parts. And then there are other, there are other moral uh, heresies, if you will, that reduces everything to intention. Uh, and they deny that there are certain acts that are intrinsically evil. Uh, but no, we have to have all three acts, have, all three parts of the, of the moral act have to be good for it to be a good moral act. But that, that, that's not for our discussion tonight, because that's a little bit uh, more, <laughs> a little bit more advanced. It's a little, that, that, um, that takes a little bit more de de detail would have to be, uh, and time uh, would have to be exerted to get into that. And that would really be a theological discussion, an unavoidable yeah, well, one. Well, actually, it, actually, this is—it's uh, not entirely theological. It's actually, this is actually in the realm of uh, natural ethics. Uh, I, I was going to say when you were talking, brother, that I was going to suggest to Chris if you want a view on uh, what uh, on on what brother just said, then uh, I suggest you get the entire philosophy of Perenis course. But if you don't want to, if you listen to the ethics course, all, that, that's covered in ethics. That all yeah. that all acts are are ultimately moral acts. Um, yeah, that that is that is that is that is in ethics. Yeah. So Kristen asks, is the animal equivalent of actus hominis called uh, actus animus? <laughs> uh, well, actually, I don't think that they. It would be actus animalis, actually, but. I don't think they even use that term in Latin. Yeah. Uh, I never I never come across it anyway. Actus animus would be an act of the soul. Uh, or yeah, actus animus. Uh, uh, well, actus anime. Would anime, be an act of the act soul. Of the soul. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, anima anime. But we don't need to get into Latin grammar tonight. Um, so, okay, <laughs> I think we've done the question. Actually, Craig has a question. The animal uses sense knowledge to know to bite after being flogged too many times, correct? Well, I mean, it's just instinct. He, the, the, the passion of anger is aroused and he reacts in a certain way. Um, I mean, he might, and he's gonna make, a, a, he's gonna make a, a, a call, whether it's, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, and it's gonna be that hedging between anger and fear. You know, he might be afraid to bite, or, or he might decide that he's gonna um, exert uh, his anger. But um, it's not a free will decision. He's acting purely according to his passions and instinct. So um, he's not going to do a reasoned response. You're right, Greg. It may appear as a reasoned response, but it's not. No, he's going to be acting according to his instincts. And uh, you can train an animal so he can learn, but he's not learning virtue. 
Uh, all right. Um, so um, we talked about actus humanus. <clears throat> moral, now, moral habits pertain to man's ethical behavior. So the moral, moral habits are what we call virtues. And uh, moral bad habits, good good moral habits, what we call virtues. Bad moral habits, what we call vices. We're, we've already said this. Now there are four cardinal virtues, and there are three theological virtues. But the friends have spent a lot of time tonight talking about the three theological virtues, and the uh, the difference between them. The, there there are many differences between them, but the the what they have in common is that as virtues, they are not new powers because we're still operating with all of the 26 powers that are proper to man. What, what the virtues are is good habits that, that strengthen our natural powers to do things that would would normally be difficult okay so with with say prudence temperance justice fortitude we acquire good moral habits which will lead us to repeated good acts repeated acts of virtue repeated acts of merits okay acts which have some sort of a reward either natural in this life or supernatural in the next life that's what that's the the concept of virtue it, 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 they are not new powers, but they assist the powers that are already there to perform good acts, and obviously, consequently, to refrain from performing evil acts, to refrain from performing morally bad acts. That's the generic uh, concept of virtue, and we have the four. Um, we have, we have what's called the moral virtues, and St. Thomas Aquinas enumerates over 50 moral virtues. And he says something that's very important uh, to understand why there are so many virtues. He says, for every act in which there is found a special aspect of goodness, man must be disposed by a special virtue. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw that quote I can't give you the exact reference, but because uh, I, I didn't copy that down, but that's from St. Thomas. For every act in which there is found a special aspect of goodness, man must be disposed by a special virtue. Hmm. So if we look at the uh, moral virtues, we're talking about something which is naturally acquirable. We can naturally acquire this virtue. And because the general concept of virtue is something that's acquired and therefore you you get uh, ease in performing it by doing it over and over again and it becomes a habit uh, then moral virtues acquired moral virtues are really virtues in the proper in the strict proper sense of the word the theological virtues are infused they're infused by God there's nothing that we can do naturally speaking to acquire faith to acquire hope or to acquire charity. We can't because they are directed towards something higher. They're called theological because the Greek word for God is theos, theos, T-H-E-O-S, theos. And uh, they, they, the theological virtues have God as their proper object. They, they are also, there are two other reasons why they're called theological. So aside from having God as their proper object, 
They're also infused in us by God alone. They can't be acquired. And then thirdly, because uh, we know about them only by God's revelation. St. Paul says, faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity, and is beautiful encomium to charity in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So the, that's, those are the three reasons why they're called theological. Their object is God, they're infused in us by God alone, and because we can know about them, or we do know about them, only by God's revelation. But there's, without grace, there's absolutely nothing that any one of us could do, or anyone ever could have done, to acquire faith, to acquire hope, or to acquire charity. On the other hand, there's lots that people can and have done, without the benefit of supernatural revelation, to acquire prudence, or temperance, or justice, or fortitude. These are naturally acquirable virtues. And why do we signal, I already said that St. Thomas numbers over 50 moral virtues. Why, why do we, generally when we talk about the moral virtues, we name four of them? Well, there's a good reason for this. And I'm, I'm, going, to re, I'm going to read you something, I'm going to read you a passage, pardon me if it sounds a little boring, but this is from something that I wrote years ago on, on the moral virtues. <clears throat> there are four moral virtues which by their nature are so pivotal that they are called cardinal virtues, Okay. Uh, coming from <clears throat> the Latin word for hinge. Uh, cardo cardinis is the word for hinge, like the hinge of a door. Right. Prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude are a quartet recognized by the ancient Greeks as well as the ancient Latins, and they're also found in the Book of Wisdom in the Old Testament. Uh, and I'm going to read you the passage from the Book of Wisdom in the Old Testament. It's from Wisdom chapter 8, verse 7. Uh, Wisdom's labors have great virtues, for she teacheth temperance and prudence and justice and fortitude, which are such things as men can have nothing more profitable in life. So the Book of Wisdom, one of the sapiential books of the Old Testament, uh, gives us this Hebrew wisdom on the, on the four um, cardinal virtues. But we, this, is also, these, this is also a quartet of virtues recognized by the ancient Greeks and recognized by the, the ancient Latins. This is a beautiful place where the three, the three greatest civilizations, two of them which only acquired natural greatness and one which acquired supernatural greatness, of the ancient world, the Greeks and the Latins and the Hebrews, all agreed on what somehow constituted the most fundamental virtues. Now, again, not including faith, hope, and charity, which are theological. Um, so ca so ca since that time, <clears throat> or since actually since very early on, Catholic theology has spoken of these four virtues as the cardinal virtues, and that dates back to the time of St. Ambrose. He, he, St. Ambrose died in 397, so from the 4th century on, they were called the cardinal virtues. And um, in, the, in the Middle Ages, St. Thomas and St. Albert the Great and all of these great um, theologians and commentators spoke of those four virtues as the cardinal virtues. And all of the moral virtues are considered parts of one of these cardinal virtues. So, uh, for example, the virtue of justice can be, generically speaking, the virtue of justice is rendering to the other what is his due. 
But when you consider that we have to render God his dues, mm -hmm. in other words, by offering sacrifice and by obeying him and so forth, then St. Thomas would hold that that is, there's a special act, a special aspect of goodness found in that, that doesn't exist in the kind of justice that you show to your man. Therefore, there has to be another name for it. It has to be a distinct virtue, even though it's part of justice. So we call it, believe it or not, the virtue of religion. It's called the virtue of religion. So justice has its parts. Prudence has its parts. Temperance has its parts. So, I mean, temperance, obviously we tend to think of temperance as opposing the vice of gluttony. But what about when temperance opposes the vice of of, um, of uh, say, lechery, okay, sexual immoderation. Well, then it's called chastity. Hmm. That's a special part of the virtue of temperance. And each one of those cardinal virtues, th think in terms of the, of the whole edifice of the virtues being like a big door. And that big door is held up by what? Hinges. And those four hinges, those four cardinal virtues, are the hinges that hold up the entire structure of the... Uh, of the of the uh, moral virtues. So again, there are over fifty of them. That's a yeah. uh, so so brother. There are four cardinal virtues, but over fifty moral virtues. Yeah, and and the cardinal virtues are moral virtues. Right, right. But but as, as it were, they're 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 sort of the top of the hierarchy. Huh? Every other moral virtue that you can name is going to fit under one of those virtues as one of its parts. And are you going to get into, um, uh, back in the ethics lecture again, brother uh, told a story. He's very uh, very fond of Father Feeney, and he, he told a story that Father Feeney liked to tell to kind of flesh out the, the cardinal virtues about how the Brinks robbery could not have been pulled off unless they practiced the four cardinal virtues. You, yeah. You remember that? Yeah, and, and of course, the, the important element there is that they're not really the virtues. They're like parodies of the virtues. Right, parodies like of the virtues, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there has to be something, yeah, I mean, you know, the guys had to have some some natural, some prudence, some aspect of prudence, which we would call cunning if it's evil. Right. Um, and they would have to have something like justice. Um, because they were going to divide the, honor, the money. The honor among thieves. Otherwise, they'd kill each other for the money. They'd right. They'd have to sort of have some pre-agreed contract. And then the fortitude to carry the job out when it got tough. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to remember how he uh, described. I, I, it, it's just it, well, it, tem temperance. He said, you know, they couldn't they couldn't overeat or get drunk before they performed the act. <laughs> you know, because they had they had themselves uh, re ready. You know, with a clear mind and so forth to do the act. It 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 just shows that that little anecdote there. It, it just shows number one. Brother and father's love uh, for life, that they weren't just a bunch of stodgy prudes walking around. Oh, you must do this. Oh, you must do that. You need to stop smiling. And uh, number two, that these things all actually do apply, folks. They all yeah. apply to our lives. Every moment of every day, that's not by accident. Let me give an ID real quick, brother. This is the Domine Lecture Series here on the Crusade Channel. King Size Truths from Radio Size Speakers. We are here every Wednesday night, 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. on the East Coast. And uh, we are always joined by our uh, lecturer, our sensei, our uh, teacher, our magister, Brother Andre Marie of the St. Benedict Center. If you're interested in learning more about our, uh, the philosophy courses that you hear here on the Crusade Channel, they are all available as MP3 or CD 
uh, or you can download them as MP3s or purchase them in hard copies on CDs at Catholicism.org. And, of course, that is Brother Andre Marie's website where you will find him any day of the week. And you can find Brother also hiding in plain sight. He is at Brother Andre on the Twitter. He is Brother Andre Marie on Facebook. And via email, he is BAM, B-A-M, at Catholicism.org. And uh, we were currently compiling, just so you'll know, all of the lecture, the recaps of the lectures that we did for Philosophia Prodenis over a 17-month period and trying to get all them in order so that we can post them into their uh, their own podcast feed. And so if you uh, wish to go back and listen to those, because we did record all of them, uh, and the same thing that we're doing with the Omine. If you miss any of the lectures on a Wednesday night, no worries. The podcast feed is always on my website at mikechurch.com, and you can avail yourself of that. And if you know how to work an RSS or a podcast feed, well, then all you have to do is put the feed into a podcast reader one time, and it'll update itself automatically for you. And uh, we do that as a service for anyone who uh, wishes to learn Philosophia Prodenis and any of the uh, fine lecture series courses, including this one, Daomine, that we offer here. Uh, and thanks uh, always for uh, the hard work and dedication of Brother Andre to, to show up for the last two years. Every Wednesday night, without fail, and many of you that are in the chat room tonight to, to show up as well. And for all of us to continue uh, our quest for a, a holy death and a blessed eternity, which you can most certainly learn uh, a substantial amount about by studying uh, the philosophy of St. Thomas Aquinas and as it was taught by and Aristotle as it was taught by Brother Francis Malouf and the tradition continued on by Brother Andre Marie. Here's a little plug for you, Brother. Uh, I'm here all week, and uh, if you wish me for me to record that for you professionally, I can. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Brother also is the host of a very uh, successful and very, uh, very popular series here on the Crusade Channel. It'll begin in about 11 minutes from now. It's called Reconquest. And that's all the brothers making, and uh, we're in episode number 67 of that tonight, so stick around after the lecture and catch tonight's brand new episode of Reconquest. And you might note also that Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Fridays from 6 to 8 p.m. are rebroadcast of Reconquest here on the Crusade Channel. So you've got uh, 67 episodes worth of catching up to do. Or you can always become a Founders Pass member, and you could then have access and download them um, uh, at, at your leisure. All right, brother, we've got six minutes to, uh, to, to, to continue the uh, discussion and then to wrap up. Okay, so uh, oh, so Brother Francis spent most of his time talking about the theological virtues tonight. So obviously we've, we've kind of given them short shrift. Um, but I, I should say this, that over and above the moral virtues, we do have, of course, the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. Now, what makes them different is that these have God as their immediate object and their direct source. That is to say that they order us to God, and that they're infused in us by God directly into our souls. Um, they cannot at all ever, by anybody, be acquired by human effort. So, when St. Peter—this is a great example of, the, of, of, of our Lord proving this point— when St. Peter says to, to Jesus, uh, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, uh, our Lord says to St. Peter, flesh and blood hath not revealed this to thee, but my Father who is in heaven. 
So that that has to that that profession of faith that Peter made based upon the virtue of faith was something that had to be infused in him by by our Father in heaven. It couldn't have come from him. It's not a naturally discernible thing. Um, and the, now the, the moral virtues dispose us to good acts, but they don't dispose us to God, at least not directly. Now, it, and this is kind of a, one of the ways that the moral virtues and the theological virtues work together. In the, in the life of, in the overall life of virtue looked at supernaturally, the theological virtues orient us towards God, who was our end. The, uh, the, but the moral virtues orient us properly towards creatures. So think of every moral virtue that exists, and it, it, it orients us only towards a creature, not towards the creator. It's the theological virtues that orient us towards the Creator. Now, there's a slight difference when we talk about the virtue of religion, which has to be also supernatural, uh, which orients us towards the, the, the Creator in as much as we render to Him what is His due. But the natural moral virtues do not orient us towards the Creator, but towards creatures. And the theological virtues orient us directly towards God. But in order to live a good life, we have to have the, uh, uh, the, the proper way of dealing with creatures. Because if we don't deal properly with creatures, then we can sin, right? Sure. So, uh, so it's important to have these virtues, these moral virtues, which properly orient us towards the use of, of our creatures, so the, of, of God's creatures, of our fellow creatures, I should say. Either uh, either brute animals or 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 or, uh, or um, uh, inanimate creation uh, such as food and drink and so forth, uh, or uh, how we are directed towards um, our fellow man. All of these are going to entail the the moral virtues. But so we can say that the theological virtues directly orient us towards our end, but that the moral virtues direct us in our means to that end. So they're related, but they are distinct. So next week, we're going to talk more about the, the particular moral virtues, okay. uh, especially the cardinal virtues of prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. And that'll be lecture number seven. That'll be lecture number seven, yes. And are there any questions in the, um, in the chat room? I don't see. Um, uh... I, think, I think we hit them all. Yeah, I think we had all the uh, all, all the questions. Um, I, I I I would just go back to the uh, to, to the point or to the um, uh, the reference that these virtues are are all very well explained and the ethics course. Uh, not that the rest of philosophy of Perennis is does is not ethical and it doesn't doesn't cover ethics, but it's specific in uh, in in that course and. It just made for me fascinating listening when I was listening to it because I probably listened to each one of those two or three times, uh, going back to make sure that um, uh, that I got the point, brother. I I kind of have a question uh, that can uh, innocently uh, that can slaughter an innocent two minutes of airtime. Uh, I've heard pr Father Chad Ripperger say that certain things in the modern cesspool of a culture that we are steeping in would require 
heroic acts of virtue. And we kind of started that, and you kind of said something about heroic virtue. Is that an actual term, or is he just using an adjective in front of virtue? No, no. Heroic virtue is sort of a consecrated um, part of the Catholic lexicon. Oh, okay. Uh, the heroic virtue is distinguished, obviously, from just ordinary daily virtue. Uh, and one of the reasons it's part of our lexicon is because in order for a, um, a person to be declared venerable, like in the process of canonization, okay. there must first be what's called a decree of heroic virtues. Ah. And you, you, they, they say that you know, after examining this person's life, they've concluded that he or she lived a life of heroic virtue. Yeah, so I mean, this is obviously a virtue that's a virtue that's a cut above. When 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 a virtue is only heroic when it becomes difficult to practice, when there's great sacrifice and difficulty uh, entailed in the practice of that virtue. Well, you know what? That's fascinating. Um, can, uh, we only got thirty seconds left. Maybe you can send me a link on that. I'd like to read more about that. Um, uh, I, I'm glad to know that that's not just a, something that he threw out, folks. That is all the time we have for to dominate tonight. If you'd like to be added to the newsletter, I can email you once per week. Send me an email, kingdude at mikechurch.com. For Brother Andre Marie and all of us here on the Crusade Channel, we bid you farewell. Have a great night. Stay tuned for the next episode of Reconquest. Mm -hmm.